we do sing, Father, we do sing our praises for the love of Christ. Help us, Father, as we as we hear from your word today, even as we hear of Mary and Martha and their interaction with, with Christ, with Jesus. Father, help us to see Christ. Help us to sit at his feet. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that Pastor Nick would be led by your spirit and that your word would be preached with clarity and boldness and prepare our hearts, Father, to hear, to apply, and to be stirred on to love and good works for the sake of our Redeemer, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. tries to preach a sermon without a Bible. <laughs> I don't know. Good morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this Lord's Day and how we are able to rest in Christ this day. And we thank you for the gathering of the church this morning and the gathering of the church this evening and how we can come together and uh, and sit at Jesus' feet. And Father, I pray that, um, that you will be gracious to us again today and that our minds will be renewed by your words and that we will be edified where we need to be. We will be humbled where we need to be. We will be corrected where we need to be. And that our love for you and for Christ will grow. Amen. Alright, if you haven't yet opened up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, you may do that. sermon is from verses 38 to 42 today, so I invite you to stand as I read God's word. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and will, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage starts out, now as they went on their way, 
so it kind of encourages us to uh, take a second and examine the context of what's going on here. Uh, so this passage, this section, uh, this section starts in chapter 9, verse 51, and uh, which reads, when, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So they've been uh, ministering in Galilee, he and whoever his people are at this point, and uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So there's a, a, a change of their location. Uh, there's going to be a change in the, the ministry that's going on. And they're going to set out for Jerusalem, which, of course, will end up uh, one day with his uh, death and resurrection. And then uh, in chapter 10, starting in verse 1, uh, we see that uh, the Lord Jesus sent out 70, uh, and they were looking for houses to receive him. That's what they were doing. They were going on out ahead, and they were looking for uh, houses for... They were, they were going out away and preparing the way. And, uh, you know, we, we remember we saw the instruction he gave them about going on that trip and the instruction he gave them about houses that receive them and don't receive them. Um, and now, so they, they did, remember, they came back and, uh, you know, they were all really, really quite happy because of what they experienced. You know, the demons were subject to them and uh, and uh, how the, the correction that they received about, yeah, that's, I suppose that's nice, but you should be really happy. You should be joyful that your names are written in the book of life. That is where true joy comes from. And now we see that uh, they, it's starting in verse uh, 38 that they went on their way. And what they are now doing is going to all the places that these men had gone before and visited in preparation for this. So they're traveling all over. And it says they, uh, as the sentence starts, um, it's, it's whatever the traveling party was. And I imagine there's somewhere between the Jesus and the 12, uh, could be all the way up to the 70 that he had sent out, and uh, perhaps even more. Uh, we might have the, the women that, you know, went along with them and uh, would care for the group. Uh, they might be involved in this. Uh, there might be some other followers who weren't counted among the 70 or, of course, the 12. Uh, you know, there may have been uh, some scribes and Pharisees traveling along at this time, too. We see just right before this that there was a lawyer uh, who was involved. So there, there's a, that's who the they is there. They, they went on their way. And Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into their house. So that's the context that's going on. They're, they're, they're traveling along the way and visiting the places that have been prepared in advance. And uh, Jesus stops at a village. The village here is unnamed. Uh, we find a woman named Martha, and she welcomed him into her house. Welcome is a good word. She brought him in, received him uh, with the, you know, in the same manner that uh, perhaps uh, one, a pair of the 70 had been received. Uh, and then uh, what happens next in verses 39 and 
40, uh, we are introduced to the actions of both Martha and who we're going to find out is her sister Mary. In verse 39, uh, she had her sister called Mary, uh, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So this woman, Martha, who uh, welcomes Jesus into her house, uh, she has a sister named Mary. And I'm confident that one of the first things most of us have going through our minds is this the Martha and Mary from John's Gospel. Uh, Fine question. It really doesn't have anything to do with this passage. I think it's almost assuredly is the same uh, Martha and Mary. Uh, We have no mention. Luke doesn't tell us anything about Lazarus in this section. Uh, But I think the uh, odds of that, there is another Martha and Mary. uh, Two women with the exact same name are pretty slim and none. So I think it's very uh, likely that these are the same people. So we can put that aside for now and put our minds at ease about that. So so she had a, Martha welcomes her in, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So this is, this is what Mary does. So Jesus goes to this village. He goes to this house as he's welcomed in, and uh, he starts talking. And her sister Mary sits down and listens to him. Uh, and that, that phrase, sat at the Lord's feast, I think there's two ways one might wonder whether that is. Is that literally sat at his feet, or is it just a phrase to describe her listening to him? And, and I think it's probably both. It's probably both literal, and it is uh, both descriptive of what was happening uh, from, from a different way. And we, we see the same phrase used in Luke chapter 8, verse 35. They're talking about the demoniac. Uh, Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Uh, So we don't... Same thing here, right? I mean, he's probably literally sitting very close to Jesus. Uh, We don't know if Jesus is sitting on a chair or sitting on a rock or lounging on the ground, but the man's sitting very close to him, and I think it's the same thing with Mary. She's sitting very close to him, and, uh, you know, we also uh, we also know the phrase, we use that phrase, sitting at one's feet, uh, often to describe someone who is taught by somebody else. You know, we, we, we may uh, uh, describe a teacher at a college, a room full of students, as sitting under the teacher's feet. It, it's a phrase that has become to be used to, for a general description of when somebody uh, is being taught by someone else. Uh, it's not so much the uh, physicalness that's a part of it. It's the the uh, it's a general atmosphere. What is going on? In Proverbs eight thirty four, blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. And her talk, this, you know, the topic here is wisdom. And basically, you know, it's an attitude of, it's an attitude is what it is. It's not so much the physical, although the physical location is probably accurate. She's probably sitting very close to him. Uh, but it's the desire 
to learn, the desire to be taught, the de- and we don't even have to use those words, just a desire to hear. The desire to hear is what's being expressed here. She went down, and she, Jesus comes in, and she desires to hear what Jesus has to say. And she sits down close to him, most likely, and she hears what he has to say. And now, just kind of a side note, this is now kind of the main part of Jesus' ministry. It's, it's a teaching ministry at this point. He's going, you know, we see this several times in Scripture, and Jesus went from town to town teaching and preaching. He's going from town to town now teaching and preaching. And this is what's happening right now. This is, uh, for, for a very significant part of his ministry, this is what he does. He goes around and teaches and finds people to listen to him. And here he's found Mary in this house to listen to them, listen, listen to him. Uh, then we see in verse 40, we go back to Mar- Martha. But Martha. So just that quick thing on that word, Martha, the, the but. It's a contrasting word, right? So we have, a, we have a contrast going on here. We have Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. And then we have something else, apparently, that's going to be happening with Martha, because he's contrasting what's going on. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, and we'll just stop there for a second. Now, so Martha, Mary's sitting at his feet and listening, but Martha's distracted with much serving. Uh, We can understand that, right? I mean, Jesus is in her house. She wants him to be comfortable, right? She wants wants to serve him a good meal, right? You know, Jesus might be staying the night. She wants the house to look good. She wants to make a nice, comfortable room for him to stay in. Maybe others will be joining him. Maybe others will be joining for the meal. And she wants to get that right. We can understand that, right? Uh, interestingly, the word uh, the word much serving there uh, is diakonos. Diakonos is the word for serving. We're familiar with that word, right? It's where the word deacon comes from. It means serve, but, you know, the, when you really dig down on that word, it means like waiting on tables, okay? So that's, that's, that's what she's doing. She's, she's preparing food here. She's, and, and, you know, it says here she's much distracted by that. Now, one of the things, uh, one translation of the Bible I really, really like for the New Testament is the Weiss translation. And we've talked about that before, but if for your, if you don't remember... The Weiss translation uh, is a a translation that the author, Kenneth Weiss, uses as many words in English as he feels necessary to draw out the the meaning of the Greek word. And, you know, they, they, they... So Greek words can be very rich, and he uses as many words as he needs to to draw that out. Listen to he, what he has to say about that sentence. But Martha was going around in circles, over-occupied with preparing the meals. Okay? Martha was going around in circles, over-occupied with preparing the meal. This going around in circles, the distracted, it means means to be drawn away. It means to be dragged all around. Uh, Maybe our expression today would be, she was running around like a chicken with her head cut off. Okay? She's, She's... in a tizzy, 
over preparing this meal. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's what she's doing. And uh, so that's what's going on. And then she, go, she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I'm going to read the Weiss translation again. Okay, I think it's very helpful to us. Uh, and bursting in upon Jesus, she assumed a stance over him. Did you put that in the... Are they seeing that? No? Okay. So I'm going to read that again. Okay? So this is what the different English translation. And she went up to him. Okay? That's all we are so far. And she went up to him. And bursting in upon Jesus, she assumed a stance over him. Okay? That's what the Greek words mean, okay? So she (laughs) comes on in the room. She's in a tizzy from all this preparation she's doing. Now, it's Jesus in her house, right? Man, i got to get this right for him, right? I'm in a tizzy. I'm trying to get all this food done. She goes on in. Jesus is talking. Hey! Hey! Goes up to him, stands over him, stands over him, and said, "It will go back to the ESV." Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. In the Weiss translation, and said, "Lord, is it not a concern to you that my sister has let me down to be preparing the meal alone?" Listen to this. Speak therefore to her at once, that she take hold and do her part. Now, what's interesting there? Very interesting. She says, Lord. Okay, there, there's an acknowledgement over who she's talking to, isn't there? Right? She knows exactly who she's talking to. And yet, she bursts in, stands over him and said, Lord, you got to fix this. This ain't right. Don't you see this going on? Hello? Don't you see this going on? Fix this. Get her to help me. Tell her now to come and help me fix this meal. Nice, huh? So that's a that's the action that's going on in here. That's the scene that we can understand. Um, I don't remember if I wrote this down somewhere else, so I'm going to say it now so I don't forget. I think I did. I'll just say it now. So, interestingly, the 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 people in this scenario that this account that Luke is giving us, they're two women, right? Does Jesus care about women? He does, doesn't he? Now, now I remember I, I for sure wrote this down, but you're getting a preview of that. I won't say it again. I promise. Does Jesus care about women? He absolutely does. This woman, he's he's talking, he's teaching. We'll talk about that word in a minute. And this woman's listening to him. And this other woman comes in and says to the creator of the earth, of all that is seen and unseen, God in the flesh, and says, Hey, fix this. Don't you what what? Don't you see what I'm doing over here? And look at her. Fix this. Women are very highly esteemed in by God, by Christ. Okay? And and 
really not the point of this sermon at all, but I'm just going to say it briefly. Not the point of this passage at all, although you could glean it out of there. Christianity is has done more for women than any other worldview on the planet. We need to understand that. There is no culture, there is no other worldview that values women as highly and esteems them as greatly as the Christian worldview. And that's because the God who created men and women esteems them highly also. Now, we all believe that, right? Does that mean they need to be pastors and have authority over men and other people? It doesn't, does it? But God does esteem women very, very highly. It just seems like with current events that needed to come out. Anyways, uh, so... uh, We see Martha's actions. We see Mary's actions. We see that uh, Mary's listening. Martha's serving. Martha's not happy about this. So the next thing we see is Jesus' reply to Martha. Okay, Jesus' reply to Martha. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So let's focus first on verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Worried. You are anxious. It says anxious. I have a note worried. She's anxious. She's worried. She's worried and troubled. Now that word troubled, that's a really strong word in the Greek, okay? What was it in the weast? Oh, I didn't write it down. Uh, greatly disturbed, troubled, greatly disturbed, showing agitation of mind. This is this is what's going on, all right? Martha, Martha, you are worried, you are anxious, you are agitated about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So she is clearly worried and upset. Now, Jesus knows everything, but I don't think he had to be omniscient in order to see what was going on with Martha at this point by her actual behavior. And she's upset about. She's upset. She's upset. Look, she's upset. That's the word we would use, right? What's she upset about? Well, many things, but specifically what? She's upset about the food. She's upset about the food. Jesus is in her house, and she is upset and bothered by the food, and her sister is not helping her. That's what she's upset about. Just just think about that. I mean, look, I think this is all really important because of the contrast we see here between Martha and Mary, whether they're women or or men or not, or or, or whatever they are. Mary, again, we'll talk about, we're going to talk about all these things a little more. But Mary goes, Jesus comes to start talking, and Mary goes and listens to Jesus. And Martha, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to get the broom and sweep. I got to get the dust. I got to dust. I got to, 
I got to make the food just right because Jesus is here. Look, we can understand in our flesh that trap. But we got to understand also how, J- how Jesus deals with it, what he says. Let's look. So what he says, one thing is that we'll come back to that in a second. Let's look at some other scriptures to help us. Luke twelve twenty nine, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Jesus comes to her house, the Lord of the universe. She recognizes it. And what is she worried about? What they're going to eat and drink. Do not be worried about what you are. Do not seek what you are to eat and drink, nor be worried. You don't need to worry about these things. You don't need to worry about these things. God comes, starts talking, you should listen. Mark 4:19. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So look, there's danger that we have to be really watch out for. Okay? And I think we're seeing that in Martha. The cares of the world. Is not food and drink the cares of the world? I mean, it's almost like there's no other way to classify it. Yes, we need it, but it's a care of the world. The desire for other things. Okay, Did, did Martha have a care for the word at this point? Did she have any, do we have any indication in the text that she had any interest at all in what Jesus had to say? Okay? The desire for her for other things is choking the word in her. And it's proving un- and it proves unfruitful. This is a danger that we need to watch out for. It is the concerns of this world becoming all consuming in our life. So much so that the spiritual things are choked out. That there's no, no room left for that because we're so consumed with the cares of the world. Uh, in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So again, again, there's danger here. Some people hear but they're choked by the cares of the world. Okay, you're gonna, somebody might object say, well, I'm not, I don't need riches. It, it doesn't that have to be riches. Okay? Just the cares of the everyday world can choke us out. Can choke out our, our, our desire and our need to listen to the word of God. To, 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 to well, we'll go further than that later, but to, but to just, Rest in God. The cares of the world choke that out. First John two fifteen to seventeen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's what I have underlined. The things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, and the love of the Father is not in him, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, 
but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there's a danger of loving the things in the world as opposed to loving the things of God. There's a really big danger of that. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What I want to say about Martha right now in this passage, she's not exhibiting much love of, the fa- love of Christ or love of the Father, is she? She's exhibiting love of the world. Now that's no, I'm not making any judgment about her heart, either at this point or what may happen in the future. But the reality is, right now, in this moment, she has no love of Christ at all. In fact, she wants to order him around. That's what she wants to do. And look, in that relationship, in in how relationships work, the desire to order somebody around is kind of opposite love, right? So she doesn't have that, but she does have a love, or at least a really big concern, about the things of the world. Luke 21:34. But watch yourselves, okay? Strong warning there, right? Another warning. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that they come, suddenly come upon you like a trap. Again, there's another verse that we might want to pay me no attention to or half attention to because it says dissipation and drunkenness and we could easily check those off and say no dissipation with me I live my life are in the guardrails there's no drunkenness with me I haven't touched I haven't drank in my entire life okay check this off I don't have to worry about that but there's that pesky phrase again the cares of this life okay There's a warning there. Watch yourselves that you don't get too concerned with the cares of this world. That that day suddenly come upon you like a trap. You want to take it up higher? Should we take it up higher? Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow, that's a bold statement. Do not command, be anxious Be worried, be troubled about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Not about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Not even the meal? Not even the meal? I I can't be anxious about the meal? Jesus, Martha says, not even the appearance of my house, not even the appearance of my children, not even the education of my children, not even their behavior, not even my car, whether my car is going to start, whether I'm going to be able to afford this thing I have coming up in six months. Do not be anxious about anything, including the meal. Uh, I may say this again. Do we need to eat? Of course we do. Do we need to drink? Of course we do. This isn't a diatribe by Jesus or me against eating. 
against food preparation. What is he talking about? He's talking about her heart. And in this instance, her actions, her the, the, Luke's description of what Jesus said and about her actual actions are indicating that her heart is not right here about the food and the drink. He's not... Well, we'll come back. Matthew 6, uh, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you... We're going to intensify it again. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. (laughs) What you will eat or what you will drink. Do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, Martha. Don't be anxious about that. It's okay. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Don't be worried about your clothes. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to his the span of his life? All your anxiety, all your cares, do nothing to aid you. They do nothing to help you. They do nothing to solve whatever it is the problem you're looking to solve. Your agitation of mind, your tizzy. You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Can't you get her to help me? I inserted that. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And this is the the famous upshot of all this, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. What's Mary doing? She's seeking the kingdom of God. She's listening to the Lord. She's listening to Him. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. We're going to eat. We're going to eat. I promise you, we're going to eat. Seek first the kingdom of God. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day in its own, is its own trouble. So that's Martha. And Jesus is, and what she did and how Jesus reacted to her, partially. Now let's see about how he reacted to Mary. Continuing in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen 
the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's look at the word good. Mary has chosen the good portion. Okay, That word, good, in, in its full meaning, means genuinely, authentically, really, intrinsically good by its very nature. Okay? So, when you say they have good pizza at that restaurant, right? That's a relative term. What you mean is, I liked it. And taste is a very personal thing, right? And we use that word good about all kinds. They're a good sports team. It's a good color on you. We can use that word good in many different ways. Okay, Most of them talking about our personal preference about something, right? That's not the case with this word right here, okay? Jesus isn't saying, what he's not saying is what she chose to do is better than what you're choosing to do right now. That's true, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, Mary has chosen the really, for real, no joke, this is the way things really are. Good by the... This is the definition of good, what she has done. She has chosen the good thing. The good portion. Okay? That's very significant. Jesus is the good thing. He's not a good thing. She has not chosen a good thing. She has chosen the good thing. Of all the things that she could have done that day, Mary. Her listening to Jesus was the good thing. It was by definition the good thing. You, you could say maybe, maybe in, in our English we would say the best thing. There, there's nothing else that could have been better because what she did was the right thing to do. Definitionally. Nothing else that she could have done could be classified as good. She chose the good thing. But one thing is necessary. See, Jesus is necessary. The words of Jesus is necessary. Jesus is the good portion. The genuinely, authentically good portion. You could use that way, and as I said before, maybe we'd say best. You could could use that way in in a way of meaning that comparatively, nothing else is good. Authentically good. Jesus is the good portion. We must understand this. Especially in context of this sermon. Of this passage. Not this sermon. The passage we're looking at. Jesus is the good thing. He is necessary. And listening to him is necessary. And it's not that all that other stuff pales by comparison. That would be one way of describing it or looking at it. I don't even want to say that. Everything else is unnecessary by the words he's using here. Jesus is everything. And we must understand that. Psalm 27.4 One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is the heart of the man speaking, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is a man who says, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. That's all I want. That's all I need. Just give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Again, that's the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is that Jesus is everything. Give me Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. Give me Jesus. Mark 8.36 For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What good is the presentation of your house? And what good is the meal and the presentation of the meal and the quality of the food and all that? What, what good is anything we have in this world if we forfeit our soul, if we ignore Jesus? Now look, I like food. I'm sure you do too. I actually like really good food, too. I like it to be delicious. I have this thing that way. I didn't used to have it. Now I do. If you give me frozen pizza every day, I'd have been super happy and was. It's not like that anymore. I like good food. So what? What if I get the best food in the world? I get rich that I can employ the best chefs to come to my house every day, hassle-free, and get the best food. And I can employ, uh, uh, I, I can buy the, the, biggest, the biggest mansion in Davenport and hire a staff of people to decorate it and clean it. And every time I walk into it, and every time I bring guests into it, it looks perfect in every way. And I serve them this delicious meal that my team of chefs prepared. What good is it if I forfeit my soul? You know, the, the, I'm going off a little bit now, but, but our heart wants to say, how about both? <laughs> how about a little bit of both? I wouldn't. I would be okay if I had a chef that made good food for me every day. Because we're torn. Because we're like Martha. Because we get concerned about the things of the world and the food we eat and the clothes we wear and how our house looks. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom we have sent. 
Did Mary understand this? You bet she did. You bet she did. Did Martha understand this? I don't know. Not right now. Not right now. She's very concerned about the food, first. Second, that her sister ain't helping. And number three, Jesus ain't fixing it. Not a good combination at all. Mary understand this. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Is Jesus seeing food isn't needed? Of course not. He knows he may not need to eat. He, I mean, he does eventually. He knows they need to eat. It's not the point. Well, what are you saying? Is Jesus, what are you saying? Hospitality is not important? Is that what Jesus is saying? Hospitality is not important? No, he's not saying that at all. Not even close to the point of what he's saying. It's about the heart towards Christ that matters. What does he say? I will not take that away from her. No. She's chosen the right person. I'm not going to take that away from her. No, I'm not going to do that. What, What else did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Martha's worried about the bread. Mary's worried worried about... Not worried. Mary's wants the words that proceed from the mouth of Christ. Because uh, I can't resist, I need to talk about some application of this verse, this passage that I think is important. Um, And you said, you've already done that, you're good. Yeah, we got it. But there's some things I think it's really worthy to talk about. Okay? So first, how, how, how do we today sit at the feet of Jesus? How how do we actually do that today? Because we're not, it's not 2,000 years ago, and we're not in a village in Judah or Israel, and Jesus isn't walking around with a traveling party. So how do we live this out today? I'm going to apply this in three contexts for us today that I think are real and that we need to be aware of. The first is the Lord's Day gathering of the church. Okay, What we are doing right now, And we'll do again tonight. Is the first context that I'm going to apply this to. This is, well, I would assert, the primary way that Christians gather at the feet of Jesus. And so this morning, this night in our assembly, and it's from when it starts until when it ends. That's our gathering at the feet of Jesus. So at 10 o'clock, then when we start, when, when the first... Microphone gets turned on, and whoever comes up here says, good morning. That's when it starts. And it ends when we're done singing the last song and the benediction is given. And then tonight, it's the same thing. 
It starts when it starts and it ends when it ends. And that's our, that's our, one of the primary contexts of how we sit at the feet of Jesus together. Okay? So, now here's my application, right? Tonight, when we're done, are we going to have a meal? We are, right? We do it every Lord's Day. What's the priority? We specifically talk about the evening gathering because, well, we could today because we're all going to go eat lunch, but you're all here and that's good. What's the priority in the evening gathering? Is it the meal or the sitting at the feet of Jesus? So, are you distracted by the meal planning and preparation when we're supposed to be sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you worried about it? Are you troubled by it? I'm assuming when it's your turn is the the application of this. Not, well, some people might be <laughs> making sure other people do their job right. That's not what I'm talking about. Are you distracted in the evening meeting by the meal prep and service? Or are you sitting at the feet of Jesus the whole time we're in here? Is your mind on Jesus and on the singing and the praying and the exhorting and everything that happens tonight? Or are you thinking about the food? I see it all the time. It's real. It happens, right? We all know that. Look, we're going to eat. I have relative confidence, really high confidence, that we're going to eat when we get done. We don't need to be worried about that. You don't need to be worried about it if it's your time to serve. You don't need to be worried about it. You can come in here and you can sit at the feet of Jesus from the time we start till the time we're done and be good with that. And we'll eat when we eat. And we'll eat what we eat. And it'll be fine. Why we're here in the gathering of the church. Cell phones. Cell phones. Okay? Now look, I know. I know. I know you got your Bible on your phone. I know that. Okay? Can you tell me? Really? Can you tell me you don't get distracted by your phone in the meeting of the church when we're sitting at the feet of Jesus? Can you tell me that? Can you tell me that you never send and receive text when we're supposed to be sitting at the feet of Jesus? Can you tell me you don't check your email? Can you tell me you don't go to Facebook? Can you tell me you don't use any other apps? From the time we start to the time we get done. To the time we start to the time we get done. Can you tell me that? You don't really have to tell me that. Can you tell yourself that? So that the challenging part of all this, look, every age is different, right? And but obviously, 100 years ago, they didn't have to worry about this, right? 30 years ago, they didn't have to worry. We didn't have to worry about that. I can speak in the first person. I'm over 30. But it's real. Why? 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 Why do we need to do that? Why be worried about whatever else is going on? What somebody else who's not in here 
is doing that we need to text them. In combination with that, with that and with, there's another application here. I think there's some misconceptions about the gathering of the church on the Lord's Day that I'd like to, if they exist, I'd like to clear them up. Uh, One misconception. The sermon is the most important part of the Lord's Day gathering. Or the sermon and the Lord's Supper. Are the only are the two most important parts, and as long as, as long as I get that, I'm good. You know, and, and then it's okay to be distracted somewhere else. It's okay to have my mind somewhere else or do this, that, or the next thing, as long as I get the sermon because that's the important. No. From when we start to when we're done, that's all sitting at the feet of Jesus. Every scripture that's read, every song that's sung, the offering, the prayers, it's all part of our sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's all part of dwelling with Christ. It's it's all part of giving me Jesus. Here's another misconception. Uh, Sometimes people are in the back, okay? Again, I'm not... Just listen. Okay? It's not the same. Being in the back's not the same as being in here. I'm glad we have I'm glad we have wires and microphones and speakers, okay? It's not the same. It's just not the same. Again, 500 years ago, okay? Maybe there was a cry room or a nursery, I don't know. I'm not talking about that. Okay? There were no you, you were in the gathering of church, participating in the sitting at the feet of Jesus, or you were not. You, you had no, no opportunity to participate outside of that. You weren't, you weren't sitting at the feet of Jesus. Last misconception. Watching at home on video is the same. It's not. It's not the same. I guess it's nice. I don't know. Maybe. I guess it's better than not having it, I guess. But it's not the same. Watching on video, this gathering or any other gathering is not the same as being here together. This, it matters. I don't know how to put a scale on that, but it matters because it's it's not the same. And I know, look, life happens and there's reasons. I I, I don't want to be unsympathetic. But it's not the same. There's a reason churches gather and have gathered for a long, long time. Because that is how we collectively, how Christians collectively, the temple of Christ, right? Because all of us together are part of the temple, the dwelling place of God. That's how the church is always gathered because that's what's necessary. That's first context, the gathering of the church. Second context, family worship. I'm sure many of us, maybe all of us, hopefully all of us do some kind of family worship at home. Are you distracted and troubled by many things during family worship? Or are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Is family worship the the time we get a few things done around the house? 
and we'll just kind of listen while we're doing those? Or are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Listening. Participating. Second context. Third context. Private worship. Private worship. This is me and my Bible. This is me in prayer. Okay? Are we distracted when we're doing our private, whatever you want to call it, worship, devotions? Are we distracted? I am. Stupid phone. I can't read three chapters of the Bible, it seems, without checking my phone 27 times. Look, I think this is... You can argue with me if you want. I think this directly comes out of the text. That's why I'm bringing it up. Martha was... She had the opportunity to sit at the feet of the Lord and listen. And she's distracted. She's worried. She's troubled by the food. And I get distracted by about anything when I should just be focused on reading my Bible and prayer. I'm telling you, it's easy. It's really easy to get distracted, is what I'm saying. And we, sh- we just shouldn't. There's no, there's no real, again, look, every, every era has its things they need to watch out for, right? So it, it's not like this is, cell phones are the bane of our existence because it can be really useful. But we need to watch out for these things. I, I do. I do. So when I'm reading my Bible, I need, I need to really be sure I'm focused on that. I should be. When, when we have family worship, when you do in your house, me and my, my house, I need to be focused on that. I need to say, okay, I need to stop now and not be distracted by the things of the world. Not, not about the cares of the world. Not now. Not for this time. Whether it's five minutes or a half an hour, every, every day is different and every house is different, right? I need to not be distracted by that. And the meeting of the church, I, I don't, there's no reason to be distracted. Look, I know there is. I know we have children. Okay, I understand. We've talked about this for, how long have we done this? 12 years? 13 years? Long time. We get it. I get it. Man, do you guys remember when, when I first got kids, if you were around? We, not, we need not to be distracted by that. It doesn't say ignore your kids, okay? We don't, we can, whatever qualifier you need, I just handled it, all right? Just pretend I said whatever you needed to hear. But this time is for sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let's desire the good portion. Jesus, closing thought, Jesus is the good portion. Learn from him. Learn from him. Rest in him. I got some really good counsel last week. Just rest on the Lord's day. Take your mind off that. Amen. You know what? From 10 o'clock till we're done... From 5 o'clock and we're done. Man, can't we intensify that? Just rest in Christ.
during this time. Learn from Him. Sing, pray, praise, listen. Focus on Christ. Only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. Not many things. Not many things. One thing. Christ is necessary. And our need, it's a need. It's the good thing. He is the good portion. Our need to learn from him and rest in him and dwell in his presence. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for all of Jesus' ministry. Uh, We praise you uh, for how he came to the earth, how he lived out perfectly his ministry, his ministry of teaching and preaching, the, the times that he did miraculous interventions to show us who he is, death and resurrection we, we Father we humble ourselves and we thank you for that Father I pray that we would also humble ourselves and understand what's necessary understand what's good genuinely good, really good, authentically good and that we would uh, that we would by the power of your spirit be able to focus on those things it is right and necessary to do it. And we ask you for your help in giving us grace to do that. Amen. Let's stand and sing, He Who is Mighty, on your handout, He Who is Mighty.